Good morning. Glad you're here. Welcome to Open Life. We're in our sixth and final series of the Thessalonian series. And as I was kind of practicing at home, I realized I'm terribly bad at saying Thessalonians and Thessalonica and the Thessalonians. So bear with me because I'm going to say it a lot because that's who we're talking about. But I listened to myself last time. I'm like, I really have problems with that. Um, It's kind of like a lisp thing. So, and I never had a lisp growing up, so I guess I have one now. So that's cool. Anyway, just thought you guys should know that. Um, But so I'm excited to be here. I hope you guys are. I don't know about you, but I love it on Sundays when we can have the doors open um, and just like kind of like everyone just walks in. It feels so inviting and so like sunny and because it is sunny. And so I really love that aspect of it. And today's a really safe week to be here because of the jujitsu tournament over there. So if you need protection, I'm sure they would love to practice their craft with you. Um, so it's kind of cool. That I didn't even know they had jujitsu tournaments. Um, but I guess I have seen Karate Kids, so I take that back. I do know they have tournaments. So I just lied to you and then confessed right before us. So as we've, got, as we've walked through um, Thessaloni- Thessalonians, there we go, uh, we've been talking about how Paul's story specifically with this church. And so we, at the first week, we talked about in Acts how he went to the church at Thessalonica and he started a church there. And it was a young church, a church that was just starting to grow. Paul had to convince people that Jesus really was a savior and that um, he was the prophecy fulfilled from the Old Testament. And so as we see that story, then we, we get to the story of 1 Thessalonians and how Paul wrote this letter because he knew some things that needed to be corrected, and he sent Timothy with this letter and sent it to him. And so then we go to 2 Thessalonians, and uh, it's just the same thing again. Timothy comes back to Paul, gives him a report, and so then they send another letter. And so that's where we get 2 Thessalon- Thessalonians. And so What I love about reading this book is just realizing Paul's concern for the peace of the community, for the peace of that church, for the harmony of it. When I think of words that mark the church that Paul was really striving for, he wanted the church to be a place of peace, of serenity, of harmony, of momentum. He wanted it to be like a cohesive group. He wanted unity among the people there. And so he really strived for the peace of the community. You get, you get that feeling as you read those two books that Paul's concern is for peace of the believers together. He wanted to be tight-knit. He wanted to be close. He wanted them to, if they had problems, not to feel like they had to hide them, but that they could address them in a, in a non-confrontational manner, but in a way that brings healing, brings restoration, and brings hope. And so despite outside and inside pressures, Paul just wants the Thessalonians to be united. This was a persecuted church. This was a church with people coming against them. To be a Christian in this time would have been very negative in the culture that they are in. And so this needed to be a tight-knit group. This needed to be a group of peace, of rest, of serenity for those people because they're being attacked because they believed Jesus. And once they believed in Jesus, they had no other way to go. And so Paul's saying, it's, my concern is that this community would be peaceful, that this would be a safe place for you. And so I, I was, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about when you look at a puzzle, when you just, how many of you guys like to do jigsaw puzzles at home? Anyone? What about um, Rubik's Cubes? Any like those? 
I just downloaded an app. It's not a Rubik's Cube app. That'd be kind of cool. But it's an app. It's a game. It's called Dots. And I don't know if anybody else has it. It was free this week. Uh, I got a tweet from Thad and all these free apps. So I down, I've downloaded like 20 apps. And so, but it's called Dots. And I just got addicted to this thing. Because you're, basically all you're doing is you have like 60 dots and you're trying to make connections. And then you want to make squares because then it takes all the color of that dot off the board. And you have 60 seconds and you want to get the most dots and just you keep getting a score. And so I'm looking at the top scores of the week, and it's like 799. All these people have 799. So I'm assuming that's the highest score you can get. Um, and I only can get to like 260. And, but I'm, I'm just like, you know, cramming, cramming, cramming. But I don't know if you have that feeling when you first start a puzzle. It's exhilarating because you're starting a puzzle, but it's also overwhelming because you have all of these puzzle pieces on the counter, on the table, and you're like, how am I going to go from this if you're looking at the picture? Some people don't look at the picture uh, because they feel like that's cheating. But I can't do it without the picture. Um, and so, but that feeling of overwhelm, like everything's scattered on the table. How am I going to get from this point A of being everything in shambles, everything broken up, to this point like Z where everything's put together, it's perfect. When you put that last puzzle piece, that feeling of just like calmness. Uh, and so when I, like, if you're like me, I don't do Rubik's Cubes because I, would, one, would never be able to finish it. I've tried for, like, hours once, and I would like to be, like, Will Smith on that one movie and just be able to, like, sit in the back of a taxi and do it in, like, 30 seconds. But I know that's never going to be. And if you're like me, you get, like, like, amped up. Like, okay, like, okay. So I, like, I get one side, and then you turn it around, and everything's, like, one of every color is on the back side. And, like, how does that make any sense? But so I feel like that's how Paul could have thought or how we could kind of be in that situation of starting a new church if we were back in that time. And you see, you have in your mind what you want something to be. If it was a Rubik's Cube, I want all the colors to be one color on each side. If I have a jigsaw puzzle, I have the picture there. I know what it wants to be. But right now where I'm at and right where Paul at, was at when he started this church is everything's in shambles. There's people who don't believe in Jesus. I want them to believe in Jesus so that their lives can come to that picture. But Paul has a vision of where he wants to go, but he's at this place where everything is just on the table, scattered, messed up. And so how awesome is it when Paul, you see his attitude in this book as you read some of the um, opening remarks of the book, and we'll read one in just a second. But how awesome is it because Paul was beginning to experience the feeling of putting that last puzzle piece on the, on the board to have just find that calmness, that, like, yes, I did this. Like, yes. And all, obviously the church is always growing. It's always changing. But there's that moment where he really felt like, yes, they're getting this. And so as we read in 2 Thessalonians 1, 3 through 4, just listen to Paul's heart as he reads this scripture. It'll be on the screen for you. And so he says this, We are always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your, your faith is growing more and more, and the love of all of you have one for another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. And so I just read that, and I hear Paul's heart in him talking to the church. He's saying, you guys are getting this. You guys are like loving one another, and that's totally awesome. And then he's saying, even though you're being persecuted, even though you're going through these trials and tribulations, he's saying you still love one another and you're still loving others. 
And isn't it cool to see Paul's heart in that? It's like the same feeling that I get in like, and obviously not the exact same, but when I can get like a high score on my game, that feeling of, yes, I finally got it this time. Like, yes, it's finally happening. So listen to Paul's heart as he sees this, because he sees what the church should become, but what it's becoming also, and he's excited about it. He's saying, you guys are doing awesome. You're loving one another. But there's also people in this group that still weren't getting it, that they still weren't totally at the place Paul wanted them to be. And so it's not as a, in an attitude of like, okay, well, these people really aren't getting it. Let's kick them out of the church. It's these people aren't getting it, but how can we get them to the finished product? How can we get them to put that last puzzle piece in in their lives so they can see the picture that God wants them to be? And so the, the things we're talking about today comes from the scripture of uh, the same Second Thessalonians 3, 6 through 15. And so I switched it up. I was reading different versions this week, and I really liked the English Standard Version. And so I put that on the screen for you, because if you don't have that one in your hands and you wanted to follow along. But Paul says this, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you would keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness, and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we are not idle when we are with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be burdened to any of you. It was not because we did not have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among of you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies." Now, search person, now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with them, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. And so this is the final issue that Paul is hitting on in his two letters. He hit it just slightly in the first letter, but after realizing that it was a bigger issue, in the second letter, he realized that he needed to really hit on this. And it's the last thing he says. And he wanted it to be something that would stick with the people so that they knew that he really takes it seriously what he's talking about. So on the one hand, most of the church is doing great. You heard Paul's exhortation of them and just really thanking them and really just blessing them for what they were doing. But you also have a small group of people who've just chosen not to work and are beginning to take and need the resources of the community. So you have most people who are just doing their diligent work, they're making their living, they're paying for their food, but then you have this other group of people who just, for whatever reason, they're just not working. They're just deciding to mooch off everyone else. They're, trying, they're starting to freeload. And so this whole scripture, it's not like groundbreaking stuff. You know, Paul's saying, if you don't work, you don't eat. And I feel like that's been an idea that I've been taught my whole life. And so it's like when I read this, I'm like, okay, welcome to the 20th century. Because like, if nobody works, they don't get paid. Um, but there are some cultural differences from our culture to theirs. And we'll talk about that later. But scholars really do have a hard time understanding why these people work. And they have two kind of thoughts on maybe why this is happening. And so some scholars think that maybe it was in pre preparation for Jesus' return that these people just decided that since Jesus is coming back, he promised that he was coming back, 
then I don't need to work. Because if he's coming back, why should I waste my time doing this? And so the second thing is, did these people just feel that they were spiritually elite, that they didn't need to work? And so most scholars would probably say that it's a second group, is that these people just are not working, and we don't really know exactly why, but our, the best guess is that people are just thinking they're better than work, that they're better than needing to work. And so it's, it, like, in my mind, it's, like, sounds really dumb, and I wouldn't be as grateful as Paul was in the letter. But it's something that was going on. Because if you think, if they're really waiting for Jesus' return, they would, if they stopped their jobs for money, they would at least be, be diligent at bringing people to the church and being diligent that if I know Jesus is coming, I'm going to do whatever I can. I'm going to grab as many people. We're going to go to this church, and you're going to get saved, and you're going to believe in Jesus. But if Paul, Paul would have corrected them and said, well, you also need to work too, but he, there's no mention that these people are actually doing something else that would be kind of productive. And so just think about that for a moment. It's like these people just are not working. And so just think about our lives and in our culture, how that translates, how we always need to be diligent. One of the things we're going to talk about is like working hard. And as we talk through this, just think about that. Hard work is hard work. Are you working hard or hardly working? That's the name of the message. Um, My grandpa always told that to me, so I thought I'd pass it along to you guys. It's nothing new. But the first point is that Paul knew that idle lives disrupt momentum. Idle lives disrupt momentum. Paul cared so much for the peace of the community that he had to deal with those who were disrupting what Christ was doing in this group of people. Paul saw the plan. He saw the vision for what Christ, what Jesus had for this group of believers. And he saw that there are people not working that were starting to begin to put a strain on the rest of the group because they were literally taking their money, taking their resources and he realized this is not good for the peace of the community. This is not good for, for our unity. And how can we grow? How can we create momentum if we're actually hurting and fighting ourselves from the inside? If you remember back in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says in verses 4, 11 through 12, And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, you should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. It's hard to have a unified group of believers if part of that group is working hard and the other part is hardly working. Paul uses a similar play on words, like the are you working hard or hardly working? He uses a similar play on words that the culture would have understood as kind of like they would have, in hearing the letter being read, they would have known exactly what he was talking about when he says that people are not busy at work, but they're busy bodies. Like, it would have almost been like taking offense, almost like a little jab by Paul to say, you guys are, act like you're busy, but you're actually just busy bodies and you're not doing anything. And so instead of being busy with their work, they're actually being busy bodies by disrupting the peace of the community and by really putting a strain on the lives of the other believers who were doing their diligent work, who were really doing what, what they were just supposed to be doing. And so these people are slowly but surely becoming a cancer to the larger group. And that's what you need to understand is that idle lives disrupt the momentum that Jesus has for his church. 
And so I think about it, I put it into perspective something that I love. I love sports, and I love to, like, watch the games, you know, on Sundays. But I also really love to follow, like, the business side of the sport. Because, like, in my mind, if you're, if you're watching the game and you see what's going on, like, everyone has a quarterback if we're talking about football. Everyone has wide receivers. Everyone has this, that. They're all, like, on the game in the field. Like, everyone is equal. You have the same amount of resources. Yet, how does one team automatically be better than the other team? And it's through the business. You have the GMs, the general managers, and you have coaches. But it's like those business transactions that gets from one team to the other. And so you have this idea for every sport is that the coaches and general managers are trying to make the best team possible that they can on paper so that when the season happens, they're doing, when they play the games, that if a computer looked at the statistics between each team, if you have a better team on paper, your team should win on Sundays. And so it's like that kind of stuff really intrigues me is because how do people make these type of decisions when they're like, how does John Schneider and Pete Carroll, the guys for the Seahawks, how do they choose to pick one person over another person? When if I were looking at them, I would say like, dude, this guy's huge. He can bench press a lot. Um, I would take either one of them to play with me on my team, you know, in the playground. And so how, does, how do they know specifically that they want this person for their system that they're running? And how do they know that that's going to translate uh, when they're actually playing the games? So that kind of stuff just boggles my mind. It's the same thing for the Sounders. I love to, like, just watch, like, all the different transactions that are going on. And so, like, we just got a player this year from Nigeria. And so how did we know out of all the players in the world that that's the guy that we wanted, that the Sounders wanted to be on their team for this season? And, and so it's, it's just intriguing to me because you get this team on paper, they start to play the games, and so these general managers and these coaches cannot take into account all the like, variables that could happen. Players could get injured. Um, a player could end up being way better than they expected and have a breakout season. That would be a good thing. Um, but it also leads to decisions that the players are going to make. When you are picking a player, you're not going to assume that they're going to go murder someone and have to be off your team, like what happened with the New England Patriots, or that on something that happened for the CX, one of the guys, you didn't know that one of the guys was going to take performance-enhancing drugs and then get suspended for the first four games of the season. So those kind of things, like, always happen. And so then, as a coach, if you're really in the team meetings and you're coaching people up, what you're trying to get them is just to give you 100% effort so that the plan that you have that the Sunday, like, on-paper team that you have, if it plays to your full potential, would actually win, would actually go out there and win. And so Paul, in his mind, he has this idea of, like, his church on paper, how to make it awesome. And what he needs is for every believer, every person in that church to give 100%. And so, like, that's kind of like what Thad does, what we do in our staff meetings, is, like, we have ideas for open life, and, like, our ideas are based on if everyone's giving 100%. Like, we have dreams of, like, how awesome this could be. But, like, just like in sports, if one person decides to start doing performance-enhancing drugs and gets suspended, that could have a real effect on where the team goes if they make it to the Super Bowl. Just like in church, if there's people not working for the things that Open Life wants to do in the community or in our church, then how do we get to where we want to be for the dreams that we feel like Jesus has for us? And so Paul, like a good coach, 
he uses himself as an example for his teaching. Paul lived with them first. He, he write, wrote about that in the passage we read. He purposely did not let them pay for him, pay him for what he was doing, but he chose to find his own work to do that. He worked hard. He paid for everything he consumed. He set the example for how to live a quiet life. And by quiet, he's meaning quiet as in, like, I'm not disrupting the rest of the community because I'm not mooching off everyone. I'm not putting a strain on everyone else. And so that's not disruptive. And so as being not disruptive, it's quiet. Because Paul knew in the next point is that quiet lives bring peace. Paul says twice to let the word quiet define your life and your work. He said it in 1 Thessalonians and he said it in 2 Thessalonians. And so this is not the shut your mouth and work kind of command, but it's as if you're working, then your life will not disrupt other people's lives. Those who were idle were so disrupted that it was like a loud siren blowing in people's heads because of the way it affected the peace and the serenity of the church. And this is not to say that those who have taken a blow from life and who have lost their jobs, that those people are just being a nuisance to the church. What Paul is saying, he's specifically talking about people who have the ability to work and who are just with inside of themselves choosing not to work. We all go through struggles in our life. We all go through times where we don't have a job. And I'm kind of entering into one of those times in my life. I'm moving down to Bonnie Lake and I'm trying to find a job down here. And so it's like, as I'm reading this, I'm like, this is going to be really interesting in a month when I don't have a job and I like feel like I'm mooching off other people. Yet a month ago, I'm just talked about this talk about working hard and being diligent. And so it's not like one of those times where, you know, life just has you down. You lost a loved one who is, you know, providing for you or, or something like an extenuating circumstance where you literally can't work or you just ran out of money. The church is here for those kind of people. The church is that place of peace, of rest for those types of people. But the church is not a place for people just to be lazy and to come and take away from the, the, the group pots, if you will. And so Paul is coaching them up. He's correcting them and saying, you need to change some things because it's time that we start living quiet lives. It's time that we start living lives that don't disrupt our community, but that would maybe disrupt other people's lives because they see how awesome it is inside of our community. He's he's saying, let's start being the example. And so, how do we live quiet lives? And it's easy to think that this message is very specific for that time in a specific culture that we don't necessarily live in right now. And you could say we don't live like they did back then. But we're still a church, and they were still a church. And we probably don't support each other money-wise the same way that that church did in that culture, Um, But we still do our own work as a church in our community. We do. One of our core themes is that we are present with our community. That's open life. We are present with our community. But our work is here on Sundays as well. And so although we're not in the same situation as the church Paul is speaking to, there's still some core things that we can learn from what Paul is saying in encouraging them and commanding them to do. And so I have three points that we'll kind of talk about Um, from what I've gained from Scripture. And these are really simple things. And so it's like, they're really easy to apply as well. The first one is work hard. I told you it was simple. (laughs) Work hard, not not, uh, rocket science. 
But Paul said that when he was speak, working with the, Thessalon- with the Thessalonians, he said it, he described his work this way, I worked with toil and labor. We work night and day. Those are words of being diligent. Those are words of like giving it more than just the minimal effort. Paul didn't want to disrupt other other people's lives by expecting that they pay him. So he decided to set that example and say, you know what, I'm going to work to show you guys that what hard work really looks like. And so be challenged by Paul's example. Be challenged that sometimes in our lives we need to put 100% effort to see what the plan that God wants in us. Sometimes we have to give more. Sometimes we need to choose if we have a million different choices of things that we can spend our time with. And sometimes we need to choose the thing that might not be the easiest, but it might be harder, but it will have a better ending result because we've chosen to be diligent, to work hard. Proverbs 14, 23 says, all hard, all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. We can't just let our words say that open life say all the things that open life does to our friends. Uh, but it's when we set our hands to what God is doing in my life that people see what God is doing. So it's easy for me to like tell people, oh yeah, we do so much stuff at open life and I could use my words and I could say it over and over and over. But if I'm not setting my hand to it, if I'm not actually doing it, then those words are empty words. And so Paul's saying your words of hard work, you busybodies, that's not cutting it. You need to start working hard. But what should we work hard at? What's Paul's command? He says that we should never grow weary in doing good. So the next point is doing good. And at the end, the, the three words will kind of all mold together, so I'll explain that later. But it's on your handout, but Paul said, do not grow weary in doing good. It also says in Galatians 6, 9 through 10, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. There's a lot of good that can be done in our community of Bonnie Lake. There's a lot of good that can be done here on Sundays at Open Life. And so that's the good that we want to do. We want to be able to do things for Bonnie Lake. We have two things coming up where we need people to be doing good with us. The first thing is Bonnie Lake days. We get to run the kids like tent and like just have people come, have kids come hang out with us and we have to provide activities and stuff for them to do. But we would love and we need, we need people to do that good with us. The other thing is that we're collecting school supplies for the school supply gift for Liberty Ridge Elementary this year. And so we need your time. We'll probably need some money and we'll need you to buy supplies to do the good that Open Life wants to do. And so be, be diligent, work hard, doing good. But there's also things that at Open Life that we do. We have an incredible volunteer team here at Open Life who this place is completely empty every morning and then we come and bring all this stuff in. And sometimes as we've been doing it, like we've almost been in this building for like two years now. And like that's kind of like shocking when you step out and think about it. But to see every week, like all that stuff in the media, all this stuff up here, everything down in the kids' rooms, how none of that is in here before we get here, you take it for granted sometimes. And it's the people that make that happen. 
And so we thank you because your hard work always helps us. But there's always something more we could be doing. And so a good check on if you're qualified to help serve up open life is first, are you breathing? And then you're qualified. You know, it's like really simple. You don't feel like you need life figured out in order to work at open life. It's totally without us talking about today. It's like we can come in here and because it's a church, automatically you think that people are judging you and you think eyes are all on you because of all the things that you've done in your past. Well, we've all done things in our past. So we all mess up still currently. And so it's like if you're breathing, you're qualified to work. You're qualified to serve. You're qualified to help pursue and motor this mission that we have at Open Life. And so there's roles. There's things you could do, whether it's if you have an instrumental ability and you've been hiding it, like be open about it because we would love to have you up here helping us with whatever instrument, um, even interesting ones, like let us know. We might be able to work something out. But if you love kids, like if you love kids, if you love like seeing them grow and know more about Jesus from a young childhood age, we have roles for childhood teachers. We have roles if you love making people feel welcome and safe here at Open Life, like just a, when they walk in that they feel the warmth of Jesus around them. That's like, that's your thing. You want to help people because that's how you felt when you came. Like we have roles for that too. If you like to make coffee, like we, we can do, there's so many things. If you like to put up little banners, these black things uh, to cover like over there, like it's really simple stuff, but it's like, and sometimes you think that, well, that's just like dumb jobs here, dumb jobs there. But it makes a big difference because oftentimes you're coming here and it's just, again, it's like a choice. It's one of the things that you could just choose to do. And then you see the, the um, benefits of it after the fact because you've gotten to know someone. You've gotten to know like more people. I like I won't say that, but I've learned some things about the people on the worship team today, about where they go for dentists and eye vision stuff, and it's like really funny. But it's just fun to like be a community. That's what Paul's talking about. The peace, the unity of the community is growing through that. Proverbs 3.27 says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, when it is your power to act. There's lots of good to be done, and we all have the power to act. Your hard work... Doing the good brings peace to this community, peace to open life. But unfortunately, if we come to God with a consumer mentality, we begin to become the idle, disruptive person. If we have never tithed with our finances, or we use tithing as an excuse not to work, we think like, oh, well, since I tithe, I don't need to work. There's a fly up here. But if, if I tithe, you know, I don't need to work. Like, you treat tithing as a membership fee, like, you just get to come here and don't do anything, then you're missing the point, and it maybe slips into idleness. But now if you're walking through who Jesus is, and you just start coming, if, like, you're still processing this Jesus thing, don't feel like we're just, the minute you walk in here, you have to start working. But it is, like, a step of faith, almost, after you come into relationship with Jesus to say, well, now I want to start doing what Jesus has. Now I want to start being in the community and doing the things that Jesus has for this community. So don't feel pressure if you're still processing, but feel a little bit of pressure if you've been here for a while and you've just really not gotten, haven't gotten involved. Because we would love to involve you. We would love to just create that peace of community with you. 
And so finally, the last point is setting an example. And so if you put the three things together, you have work hard, doing good, setting an example. And so if you remember back in 1 Thessalonians, Paul said that when we work hard at doing good, we set an example for both unbelievers and for those in the church as well. And you know, I can't stand show-offs, like people who just love to promote themselves. But what I do love is for people who work hard and set an example for me that I can follow them. And like, that's what Paul wants for all of his people. He wants not show-offs, not people who just like promote Jesus in a negative manner, but people who just are diligent, who are working hard, they're doing good, and that other people see. Other people can see that example. And so can you just imagine with me for a moment that open life was like an engine or a machine? And you have all these different moving parts. You have all these different people who play different roles in the church, and it's just constantly moving. And the thing we don't realize is that the Holy Spirit is like the power source that runs that machine. And so we have like an infinite supply of power pushing through us to do our role for the church, to move forward, to make it go faster, to do things in body, like to do things here on Sundays. And so everyone has that role, has that position to do. And so don't ever feel like it's like your power. But like, can you imagine if people start to see that like moving machine being worked out in your life? They begin to see like maybe people you work with begin to see a change in your life because of the peace of this community has done something for you that expresses itself in a tangible way. Or like maybe when you're just at a restaurant, the way you interact with your waiter, they realize, man, there's just something peaceful about you. There's just something inside of you that says you're a little, not a weird different, but you're just different. And I like that different. I want to know why you're different. And so that's what Paul's talking about, is like setting an example for people so they can see the transformation that has happened in your life. And so kind of in conclusion, Paul talks about this in another letter. He talks about in 1 Corinthians, the verses are not written out on you, but the scripture reference is down at the bottom of your handout. But he talks about a group and comparing the, the church as a human body and how everybody has a part in the body. Some people are arms, some people are hands, some people are eyes, some people are ears. And there's just so many parts that we all have a role to play. We all have a job. We all have something we can do. And we can't reject our role or other people's roles. We can't choose to be idle. And we must all strive to live for our quiet lives. Paul says in that scripture in 1 Corinthians, he says, if one part of the body suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And then if you read on in this section, in the next chapter, he talks about the whole reason for doing that, for the whole reason for having that unity is because of love. And he says this, he says, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Paul says we could do so much just with a heart of like being cold, but if we don't do it out of love, then we've actually done nothing. We don't gain anything from that. And so that's Paul's heart. That's Paul's heart in this Thessalonians scripture that we've been reading, is that the peace of the community would come out of love. 
And that if there's people who are just being idle, who come here every Sunday and aren't doing anything, and for like a long period of time have just never engaged, then it's time for a jolt. It's time for a step of faith to say, okay, I'm ready to take the next step. And so be encouraged by Paul's words today. Be encouraged that he sees exactly where you're at. He sees where, what you're going through. And he's just encouraged you, let's move it on. Let's begin to walk, not in idleness, but walk in our quiet lives that can be an example for other people. And so our action steps for this week, uh, they're at the bottom of your page, but the first one is just read First and Second Thessalonians one more time, kind of as like a conclusion. I read it really quick the other day, just like I went blew through it. So it's really simple, but kind of do it in the light of everything you've kind of learned in light of what we've talked about this morning so that you can really see Paul's heart of peace for the community so that you can see what he has, what his desire is. And then second, find your good. I say good as just like what's specific for you. Find your good to do in community, both here at Open Life, but also um, out in the community. We have two options for you that are coming up. We'll have signups for that um, eventually. But so think about that. But also, if you would like to like serve here at Open Life, there's a spot on your connection card to say, I want to talk about serve teams. And so we'd love for you to check that and someone will email you this week and kind of get connected with you. Um, and so finally, the last thing is take the next step, whatever that is for you, whatever that means. So for some people, it might mean choosing to follow Jesus today. It might mean choosing to let that peace of, of God come into your life and to start acting it out with the people around you. Maybe that next step is to get involved, like we talked about. Maybe it's a different step. Maybe you need to like actually start taking that example, that challenge that Paul has as being an example to people. And you really need to try and specifically work on that this week in whatever setting you find yourself in, whether it's at home, whether it's um, at your work, in community. But people want to see your example. Parents, your kids want to see your example of working hard and doing good. And if that's the one thing that you do this week, if that's your next step, then good for you. Like, let's do the good that God has challenged us, that Paul has challenged us in this scripture. And so let's let that be our heart this week. Dear Lord, we just come before you and we just thank you. God, just for your peace. We thank you for that peace, that vision that you have for community, that you have for your church. And I just pray that that peace would begin to kind of like stir up and to kind of become louder, even though we're living quiet lives, but that that peace would be so loud in people's lives that are disruptive, that it would bring peace to their life. And God, we just pray that as we diligently work, as we work hard doing good and setting an example, that you would bless us in that, God. Show us the next steps. Show us what we can do to further that in our lives and in the lives around us. And just be with us and empower us to do it. In your name, amen.